Welcome to the Pixel Paper Podcast, a series where we get to know the creative processes behind up-and-coming digital artists. My name is Noor, graphic designer and work-in-progress artist, and I'll be your host for this series. Today's episode is an email interview, read and commentated on by yours truly. So sit back, get comfy, and enjoy. Hello and welcome back to another awesome interview where I'm going to be reading the answers from New York-based Chinese artist Xiao Hua Yang. I really hope I pronounced that correctly. And I'm really excited because he has given very detailed answers. In fact, it would have been great if he was actually here to deliver them himself, but no problem. They're so detailed and philosophical and I'm really excited to just get stuck in, but I'm also kind of worried because uh, I'm wondering how on earth I'm going to read these whilst saying them in third person, because it would be kind of weird if I said it in first person, but anyway, let's, let's see how it goes. So like I mentioned, Xiao is Chinese, he's originally from Shanghai, but he's now based in Brooklyn working as a freelance illustrator. As usual, I always give the reason why I want to interview the artists that I choose and with regards to Xiao, it's because his artwork seems like it's very well thought out. Each piece is quite simple but it has enough details to convince of a really deep and meaningful story and his work really seems to convey a very, let's say, raw human experience. So I was really curious about, you know, his art journey to get to where he is now. He says that he doesn't exactly remember when he started drawing, but he did enjoy the drawing classes in kindergarten, and it wasn't until elementary school that he realised that he really liked drawing, even though it's hard to say that he had a passion for art. I guess it is kind of difficult to know that as a child, but you could say, I guess you could say, you know, if a kid is really into drawing, then you could say he's passionate. Anyway, he always knew that he wanted to do something art-related, but had no idea what that would be. That seems to be kind of a recurring theme with the artists that I've interviewed, is that as a child they wanted to do something art-related, and then they found out later how they could do that. Anyway, after that he came to the States and received more professional training and became an illustrator. He was originally trained in realism, and there's this tendency that he has to add more to an image to make it look busier and more realistic because in his head that meant more finer art. He used to keep adding more and more to an image and this continued for quite a while but in the meantime he was also learning about things like the Bauhaus movement and learning about architects like Mies van der Rohe who has a famous quote which says less is more. He did not think much of it in the beginning, but over time he started to appreciate it more and more because it offered a new way of seeing and processing visual information. He's not suggesting that one is better than the other because both philosophies more is more and less is more hold weight. It depends on the actual situation. One solution may be a bit more suitable than the other or the solution could be somewhere in between the two. That's what he says. I guess 
it also depends on you as a person because I remember episode six or five uh vivid by Mariam I remember she used the quote more is more and that's kind of you know her life philosophy so her life philosophy so it's quite interesting to see the other side of this So his work has been a constant battle between the urge to kind of make his images more complex and at the same time simplify and strip away the excessive information. However, in the past several years, he's started to realise that they don't actually contradict each other and a good image should provide the audience with good content. That kind of goes for, I think, anything these days, you know, whether it's video, whether it's Instagram, you know, it's all about the content, right? It's just that for Xiao, each time the content takes different forms. Like, for example, it could be lots of tiny details in a drawing, or it could be a well-designed composition, or it could be a well-thought-out story that the creator wants to convey. Excessive details that serve little to no purpose become redundant and bland, and the simplicity that exists solely for the sake of being less lacks depth and character is what he's saying and with that in mind he always tries to push himself to show more content in his work and the form of the work whether it's decorative or simplistic becomes less relevant as everything should serve the purpose of telling a story and delivering the content so in short words it's about the message not about how it's delivered, which is quite interesting because everyone is, or generally speaking, everyone's a lot more focused on kind of technique and how the thing looks as opposed to what the story is saying, um, which is quite true as well of, I would say, social media artists who obviously, you know, paint things to make it look pretty for the gram, for the likes. I mean, I'm not putting that down or saying that it's a bad thing or saying that they're not getting personal, you know, enjoyment out of it, but there's a difference between making pretty art and making art that is very deep and meaningful, which may or may not be pretty, according to social media standards at least. Sorry, that was kind of a tangent. (laughs) He says that other people say that his work is rather melancholy and emotional, in other words, not the most positive or happy feelings and he has thought about why this might be and he thinks that not to dismiss the complexity of human beings we are more or less the product of our environment and personal experience we are who we are because of what we have experienced and how our surroundings shape us and Xiao is not an exception from an early age he's always been fascinated by mysteries tales and stories and As he grew older, he started to pay more attention to literature, philosophical ideas, and seeing and perceiving what's happening around him in the world, and perhaps that's where all the raw feelings come from, though to him the process of making is merely a fluid visualisation of his static and vague thoughts, which is quite interesting because for me that is not a natural process, like I have a lot of thoughts, but I can't necessarily put them down on paper and I think that's where education and training comes very in handy and it's very necessary. Um, You know, like the the bridge between your brain and your hand is basically 
learning how to translate your thoughts visually. So educating yourself, going to college or taking online classes is very important. Okay, I'm sorry if there is a difference in the sound quality because I'm recording this on a different day. Let's get back to the questions. I was quite curious about his background in arts because a lot of his work has a handmade quality to it. So I asked him if he works in traditional art and how this has helped him in his journey. And he says that he was trained in traditional media like gouache, oil and charcoal. So that probably has manifested in his digital work. He also tries not to give a slick or airbrushed look to his work, in other words, a digital look. There's no doubt that digital tools provide us with unprecedented efficiency and convenience, but at the same time, the standardized digital tools strip away much of the predictability, or should I say unpredictability, uh, we may encounter when using traditional tools. For example, when painting in Photoshop, with the brushes, we get lines that are plain and flat, and the lines are quite predictable, whereas when you're painting with a real brush, even a slight tint can leave a noticeable change in the characteristic of the line, and not to mention how various materials react differently to the same brush, even within the same stroke. There's more of a realness and tangibility to it that's, you know, observable compared to a digital line. Despite the move towards the digital world, with everything becoming faster and lighter and more digitized, he still thinks that traditional art will hold a place in the world for a long time. He does feel very lucky to be living in this era where digital tools speed up a lot of the process, but he does feel a disconnect when he's using his digital tools because he uses a Wacom Intuos Pro with his uh, computer monitor, and obviously, uh, for those of you who don't know, the Intuos Pro, it's a tablet without a screen, so you're looking up at your computer monitor when you draw, which is kind of a strange experience <laughs> if you've not if you're not used to it. Um, and that's also why he says that the iPad is a step up for drawing, uh, which I definitely agree with because I do not use my tablet, my Intuos Pro, as much as my iPad, especially for drawing. Another aspect that he likes for traditional art is that they don't play a dominant or essential role in making the artwork. Despite the fact that there are different grades of paints, uh, for example, there are paints that are more pure in pigments, which are more longer lasting and less susceptible to oxidization, it doesn't really matter because the skill level of an artist dictates that no matter how good or bad the materials, even if they're using student grade paints, which are you know, less quality paints, they should still be able to make a good piece of art. Going back full circle to the question, yes, he does find his training in analogue work very helpful and it's helped him to embrace the convenience and efficiency of digital work more, but also reminds him to keep a healthy distance from it in order to remain the person who utilises it and not the one who is being utilised by the digital platform. When you first look at Xiao's work, you start to realise that he has a very specific use of colour, which I was really interested in. And, you know, the colours the colors generally feature themes like purples or sunsets or, you know, dark blues, which are often on the darker end of the spectrum. So I was quite curious what role colour plays in his work. 
he says that human beings have intrinsic feelings towards certain colors we experience awe when we're surrounded by the right colors at the right times and most of our responses are innate many years ago he got to read embers by sandor Murray, which is he says a fantastic book and beautifully written and very poetic but it had a underlying sadness with a twist of indifference and acceptance and the remarks on change and in-between stages that really spoke to him. In fact, one of his projects was inspired by this book. You can check out the links to everything he's referring to in his article, which I will link in the description of this episode. He really likes art that deals with a variety of subject matters, but he just prefers dealing with things that are a bit more on the heavier side, I suppose, emotionally. Thus, the colour becomes a great tool for that. And in addition to the other elements in his work, colour communicates emotions very effectively and the plasticity and subtlety of this also helps him to greatly convey an idea to the audience. On top of his use of colour, he most of the time features people with no faces or kind of abstract faces and there seems to be almost an innocence or vulnerability about them. So I was wondering what the significance of these people are and their movements and who they represent. Chow says that he's more interested in things rather than people, visually speaking. Things like cars, spacecrafts, natural scenery, shapes, anything. However, his fascination with people has always been there and it's growing more and more pronounced with each year. Besides the appearance, he's also interested in characteristics, temperaments, and how sometimes the looks may be the perfect manifestation of a person's inner state and how, in return, the inner state feeds on those looks. It's quite an interesting, um, quite an interesting concept, I suppose. One of the main reasons for him to draw people without a clear face is probably because he's quite lazy and the face is quite hard to draw. That's one reason for sure. But more importantly, he thinks that, to a certain extent, a well-defined face would break the ambiguity that he wants to cultivate in the imagery. When the face isn't clear, the character could be anyone. He doesn't want this identity, this clear identity to be applied for it dispels the illusion. This is something that Diana Osakianu actually refers to in episode 9 uh, when she talks about her illustrations as well. Besides that, Xiao thinks that the human being's imagination is such an amazing thing that even though we're pro not provided with enough information, the brain works and tries to bridge up all the information gaps. Having said this, with the commercial work that he does, sometimes he'll have to draw a clear face, but he will always try to do it in a fashion that brings some ambiguity, whereas with his personal work, he can do whatever he likes. One book that he recommends is Scott McCloud's book, Understanding Comics, because even if you're not a comic artist, some of the ideas and concepts that he shares are still applicable and quite universal in the book and he has several chapters dedicated to the face problem. Body language and gestures suggest a person's inner state, and since most of his work deals with a rather sombre and melancholy atmosphere, he tends to give his characters body languages that are more reserved as they go inward. He rarely thinks about what or who they represent, rather he thinks that if they should exist in a given situation, is it appropriate for them to be there? So it seems that he cares more about maintaining the flow of the entire piece than the significance of a given character, i.e. macro over micro. 
I wanted to know, considering he brought up commercial work, how he deals with client work and what his process is like. Generally speaking, there is a framework that he sticks to, but he will also adapt it to ensure that he gives the best possible solution to his client. Usually he does uh, article illustrations for websites or magazines, and he normally gets a synopsis of the article and a draft of the article. This gives him a rough idea about what kind of article he's dealing with and the general tonality. After reading the draft, he would be able to figure out more about it. Kind of like seeing someone from a distance, you wouldn't really be able to see the details clearly, but the more you walk closer to them, you can see a bit better the build uh, and the shape of the person. The most crucial thing, in his opinion, is communication. Sometimes a client may have an idea for a piece that you may not find very attractive as an artist, so it's your job to communicate with your client to tell them and show them if you have a better solution. In other cases, as an artist, you may have gone too far exploring a certain direction that goes a bit too far, but if you are constantly communicating with your client, they can quickly spot it and stop you before things go completely off the rail. If you can do these things well, the rest of the job is just to try and do the best you can to deliver the best product to your client. I was curious to know what kind of stories or messages he thinks of when he's making his work, and he says that he doesn't deliberately try to deliver a message. Based on his own experience, every time he tries to deliver an obvious message in the work, the quality kind of suffers. It would become too grounded or too clever. I suppose you could say it's oversmart. He's not saying that obvious messages or blatant messages are bad, but it just doesn't work for him. As a spectator, when he looks at other people's work, one thing that he really appreciates is the ambiguity that extra room that the artist leaves to pause or rest or think that the audience can get. That's this room for interpretation. What's the artist trying to say? What's the story between these two characters? Why this colour theme? What's the motivation? Does it reflect part of the artist's personality? Questions like these keep him engaged with a piece of artwork. On the converse end, when he quickly gets a slogan or a very obvious message from a piece. He sees it as a complete object that's just there instead of an exploration that's full of random encounters and involves his participation as an audience or as a viewer of this art. So it becomes kind of plain and bland. And maybe this is kind of helpful to people who don't really understand art and it's kind of like, you know, what is this piece saying? I don't get it. That's kind of the point. You know, you're supposed to be able to interact with the art as an audience and kind of make you think almost like a piece of philosophy, um, but it's just not got words, it's a visual language which I suppose makes it harder for people to understand. But I quite liked the way he said it. Ironically, he kind of made it a bit more tangible, you know, the idea of having ambiguity in your work and why it's important. I was quite curious where he gets his inspiration from, and he says that a large chunk of it comes from his personal experience, perhaps in the way he grew up, the education he received, the places he visited, and the worldview that gradually formed uh, his opinions alongside memorable events and people over these years. He's not an avid reader, but he does enjoy reading, and this has definitely inspired his work, because great stories give him access to other worlds that give him experience that he would never have otherwise felt or known. He's mentioned Sandor Marai before, but he also recommends 
Muxin, Borgs, Murakami, Kawabata, Coelho, Hess and King. Their stories give him a lot of joy and a continuous stream of inspiration. With regards to visual inspiration, he was very much into Dali when he was younger, and he also read manga growing up, so that probably has left a mark. And then, of course, he mentions a lot of classics like Picasso, Manet, Manet, Renoir, Degas, Vermeer, and Van Gogh. He's quite open to all sorts of art forms as well, and he lists a whole other set of art forms like music, installation art, photography, poster design, concept art, and because of social media he gets to see all the talented people that take part and create this kind of artwork. As a final question, I asked Xiao what he would like to say to artists and illustrators who want to better express themselves or their emotions through their artwork. His biggest piece of advice is he thinks one needs to have something that they want to say first, as opposed to diving straight into the technical part. A story that you want to tell, a special experience that is worth sharing, an idea that you may have been contemplating for a while. In other words, the piece needs to have some interesting content to start with. He likens this to giving poor quality fabric to a good tailor. It doesn't really matter how good the tailor is in his craft, the end result just won't be ideal. But if we give him some good fabric with the tailor's skills, the result could be quite breathtaking. And we should seek a situation in which the craft and the content complement and complete each other. He thinks that the same idea applies to us when we create our work. Then, after that, we can worry about the other aspects, i.e. the colour, theme, composition, materials, and all those other technical bits. It takes time to be fluent in utilising all these bits, and good technique can greatly elevate the work, but from time to time we see work that's kind of bad and naive, I suppose technically, but something about them is unmistakably raw, loud, exciting, and ingenious. And that's why he always believes there is something more than just pure technique. So I hope that's inspired a lot of people, I know that's definitely inspired me, because I definitely agree with this, because even within my own work, um, I'm not the best technically, but sometimes when I'm creating work that is made especially on a, I would say, emotional high, like I'm feeling a certain emotion to a certain extent, or I, I have a strong message that I want to deliver, even though the execution of the piece is not so great, um, it really reflects with both me and the audience, because I realise that uh, a piece that I've made, it may not have taken a long time to make, but the message behind it is what makes the, the post kind of do really well. So yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with what Xiao was saying, and this was definitely a interesting episode. I really, really enjoyed listening to Xiao's answers, and I would highly recommend actually that you do read his article, because he has, I mean, I have, I suppose, I explained a lot of his words, but I feel like there's a different way, or there's a different experience in, in actually reading his work, and there are, there's one or two questions that I've not actually read out because it didn't really make sense uh, to read it because he's referring to certain things. So yeah, I would recommend that you click the Medium link in the bio to go check out the article. Alternatively, of course, you can subscribe to the email on Substack so that you can always get the email in your inbox. Make sure that you follow or subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform that you are using. 
it really means a lot and it helps me because it will boost me in the rankings and please leave comments please leave ratings please follow the instagram at pixel paper pod you can also follow it on twitter same handle and let me know if you are enjoying the episodes let me know if you have any recommendations you know your support is really meaningful and helpful and it lets me know that i'm going in the right direction so please do support and with that i will see you next week for another episode on the pixel paper podcast <laughs>